This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. Are you managing an art collection or an artist studio or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and you can use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and so much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com today to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. For everyone following the auctions this past week, It's felt like a whirlwind with so many sales at so many auction houses in both New York City and Hong Kong. And at the end of it all, the contemporary art market seems to be very strong right now. There was an abundance of auction records, especially for younger and mid-career artists, many of whom are female artists and are artists of color. Prices were so high that it sparked several discussions about the contemporary art market being in the midst of a substantial bubble. It'll be interesting to see how long the market remains this robust, Perhaps it might get even hotter. In this week's episode of the podcast, we break down this past week's contemporary auctions with art market reporter Katja Kazakina. She really is one of the best in the business, and it's always great having her on to hear her insights and reporting. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Katya, thanks so much for coming on. How have you been? I've been well. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me back on your podcast. Of course. It's always a pleasure having you on the podcast. So before we dig into the auctions, a lot of our listeners follow your coverage of the art market and the art world, which you reported for several years at Bloomberg News, and you left Bloomberg a little while ago. So where can we find your coverage of the art market at this time, and what can you share with us about any potential future plans? Um, well, actually, I left Bloomberg um, just three weeks ago, um, after almost 15 years. Um, so, yeah, I want to make sure that I take a little pause between now and the new year. Um, I want to reflect on some ideas that I've been thinking about for a while and also to consider the opportunities that are already coming my way. Um but uh, people can find my reporting still on Twitter under Art Detective, as always, and uh, stay tuned for more early in the new year. Perfect. We will be staying tuned. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> we, we always enjoyed all of your reporting, so we can't wait to see what you have in store in the new year. If we look back at these recent auctions, I think the storyline is the incredibly high prices that several younger and mid-career artists achieved. And some of the feedback I've received in response to these sales is almost bewilderment at some of these prices and questions about the sustainability of the prices and just this heated market. What have the responses been that you've received about some of the high prices achieved this week at auction and what that means for the state of the market right now and in the future? You know, it's it's funny. I was uh, on Instagram this morning. Somebody posted um, a, a collector 
um, of contemporary art and emerging art posted um, said that you could get two Haim Satins for one Matthew Wong. Yeah, that's I've seen a lot of people making comparisons like that as well. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, we I think we are in the middle of yet another very bubbly moment, which I think people who have covered the market and followed the market can, can recognize pretty easily, right? Like, it feels bubbly, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, you can't be sure you're in a bubble until the bubble actually bursts, and then you say, oh, we were in a bubble. And whether you're talking about the art market or the stock market or any other kind of market, most people can't time these things. So is this the end of the bubble or just the beginning of the bubble? I think it's sort of easy to think, okay, this won't last very long, but really people don't know that. Right, which makes um, art markets so exciting. So, you know, let's, you know, sort of, there, there are many, there are several themes, right, that are we're seeing in the market right now. There is definitely a very prominent a wave of um, black artists, right, who have uh, been raising, you know, whose work has been prominently featured through the galleries, acquired by museums, and now the auction prices are soaring, right? We, um, let's say, I guess for me, a very interesting moment was at Phillips um, just, I guess, two days ago. The first lot was a painting by Amy Sherald who, of course, rose to prominence with her portrait of Michelle Obama for the National Portrait Gallery. And, um, you know, she's now represented by House and Worth. Um, she paints very slowly, and so she doesn't produce many works. And I didn't realize that she actually, this was, the, the painting was called Bathers, and it just depicted two, um, two black women um, in bathing suits against this kind of a blue background. And, um, and, and of course, Amy Sherald is known for painting figures in this grisaille kind of a, a tone, right? And um, anyway, so it was just the second work at auction by her. And, of course, the demand for her work is, is crazy, right, on the primary market. So you basically cannot get her work on the primary market in compared to the demand. And... Um, I, I don't know that for sure, but knowing what's happening with younger artists who don't have the same career trajectory as her, but you know, galleries are selling the works directly to museums right now, and that's their priority. And if a collector wants to buy a work, they pretty much have to buy a work for a museum. So that's the only way you can get a piece. Um, by one of these very sought-after artists. And so I, I assume that that's the situation with Amy Sherald as well. But, right, so her previous auction record was just the previous one work at auction was $350,000, right? And uh, that was from a year ago. And in the past year, we've seen prices for artists like, you know, Amoako Buafo go for close to a million. And so you kind of knew that a price for Amy Sherald is going to go through the roof. The estimate was at Phillips 150 to $200,000. And, uh, and it was really long bidding war. I mean, I'm looking through my notes. I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least seven bidders. 
Asia, Europe, U.S. I mean, David Norman, who is like very well known impressionist and modern art expert, who is now at Phillips, like he was bidding for this work. So, like massive demand, and uh, and it ended up. It started with hundred thousand, and it hammered at $3.5 million. And so the final price was over $4 million, which is now her auction record. And it was really a very intense and very impressive result. And I think that it was a necessary repositioning of her market vis-a-vis all the other kind of newcomers into the market. Yeah. And as you mentioned, on the primary market, galleries are prioritizing selling artworks by these very desirable artists to museums, which of course makes sense and is what you would expect. And before the podcast, we were emailing and we were talking about issues of diversity and race and how that may actually be trickling down from museums to the market. And so it seems that the demand by museums for artists of color, female artists, other minorities, they're trying to fill these gaping holes in their museum permanent collections, which are predominantly filled with artworks by white males, And so this has become a real priority for museum directors and curators, and as a result, perhaps in their role as tastemakers, and also museums getting prioritization on the primary market, there isn't that much art available for private collectors by these artists on the primary market, and this, I think, is having a significant impact on these prices on the secondary market, especially at auction, as prices rise and there isn't that much supply. Right, I think so, because if you think about, um, I, I, let's think about, you know, the artist who I was looking into recently was uh, Derek Ferdure, right, whose who show opened at Patel recently, just uh, last month. Mm-hmm. And it's the same situation, you know, he, you know, very much in demand in the gallery. It's, it's not even an issue of whether they're going to sell these works. It's kind of like a very complex uh, kind of a, almost like a chess game, right? Like who gets what, but their priority is certainly on museum. But if you think about, let's say, and I'm making, I don't don't remember exactly the number of of works in the show, but let's say there are 20 works, right? And if half of them or however many of them, if the priority of the gallery is to place as many of those works into a museum and the collectors still want to acquire them, and if each collector buys one work, right, and gives one to a museum, like you you basically cut the supply by half, right? You you suddenly don't have half of the works for collectors because they're going to museums. And, uh, right, that undercuts the supply to the market. And so that really feeds the desire and feeds the auction prices. And and for, for, for museums, it's it's really a priority right now. And it's fascinating to see just how many, and, and it's it, it's really, um, I guess, an argument, I would say, against the bubble, right? Because, you know, what we've seen with, I don't know, Chinese art, like 10 years ago, 13 years ago, or maybe zombie formalism, like those speculative moments weren't necessarily supported by institutions. But this moment is, really supported by museums and it's not just the market it's 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 a reckoning right in our culture and it's this need to rewrite kind of a the canon of our art history but also to draw communities into these institutions 
that haven't been maybe catered to in the past. And so having works by black artists, by black and brown artists, by, by diverse artists, by female artists to, to draw new audiences so that people feel included and feel their own, see their own reflection on the walls of these great institutions is a priority for them. And uh, I mean, it, it's a priority for them not beyond the art market. They are also looking for, you know, curators of color. They, their boards are very white boards. You know, they are looking for board members of color. In fact, it's interesting. This this very morning, I got, I guess, um, um, a, an announcement from. A museum of Art, Toledo Museum of Art. They just appoint, appointed three new board members, and um, two of them are um, black board members, which is, you know, amazing. So, my point is, it's it's really a kind of we're seeing really a systemic kind of industry wide wide change, which I think, like I said, is, is an argument maybe against the fact that it's a bubble, because I don't think it's necessarily going. It's not going to go away. There's demand and is going to continue because the need is is great. You know, museums, you know, I was listening to, um, I was on the summit for sustainable investment in the, in the art world yesterday, and I guess the statistics is that maybe 1% of museum holdings is of artists of color, just 1%. So it's, there's a lot of work to be done. Clearly, and so I think that it it could be a positive for for the prices in the long term. Yeah, that one percent number is really shocking. And this talk about museums, I think it ties in nicely to another area you've been closely monitoring related to museums, which is the increased amount of deaccessioning at museums, largely stemming from COVID. And as a result, we've seen a lot of artworks from museum collections come up to auction this past week, something we normally don't expect to see during an auction season. Some of these incidents have been far more controversial than others, but when you look back at the auction results, how did those deaccessions end up doing when they finally went up for auction? Just to kind of step back, I guess as I was you know, reporting on the market this year, one of the surprises from, for, for me and I think for the industry was or has been that there's not more distress in the market, right? That there are not more distress sales and there's not more material uh, that's coming through distress. And um, so at some point I just realized that museums really and the decessioning by museums, like that's a key distress um, element in the market. And uh, that we've seen significant work um, consigned by museums and significant museums consigning, you know, works, uh, you know, groups, large groups um, of art, ranging from, you know, old masters to impressionist uh, work to contemporary work. And, um, of course, the, you know, the, the background for that is that, you know, museums have been in lockdown for, for months. You know, there's still, I guess, about 30% of U.S. museums are still closed. And, um, you know, and those that are open, you know, have, like, what, 25, 35% of normal attendance, which, which is really hard for their um, revenues. And, um, you know, in the U.K., it's also a, a very dire situation. And so in response to, in the U.S., in response to this um 
kind of played by museums, um, the association of art museum directors here in April um, kind of loosened its regulations on, on how the funds from deaccessioning can be used. Because normally, art could be sold only to buy more art by museums. Like, we cannot sell art to pay for their electric bills um, or for, for the salaries of their staff. But for, like, the next two years, I guess through April, what, 2022, um, the museums were allowed to um, sell art and use the proceeds for direct care of their collections. And each museum could define what that meant as long as they were very transparent in that definition, as long as they posted it on their website, et cetera, et cetera. And so that created a bit of a rush by museums to identify works and to take advantage of this looser regulations. You know, and on the other hand, as we just spoke, you know, the museums are facing, you know, financial strife due to COVID and also this pressure for more diversity among their collection, right? So they want to buy works by, you know, young black artists, for example, or female artists, or just to be able to take care of their collections and to pay their uh, curators or conservators or whatever. And so as a result, there has been several big deaccessioning um, st- stories. One of them is the Brooklyn Museum, which um, consigned a, a, a large group, of, which, which is raising, I think, $40, 40 million for its um, endowment to take care of, of, you know, as part of this um, direct care of the collection. And then, um, you know, earlier, I think it was, um, I guess, earlier in, in October, um, also, museums in, uh, you know, looking, I have this whole, like, uh, like a detective, you know, printout of all mm-hmm. these different museums that have been selling, you know, you see, like, you know, you know, Museum of Fort Worth, Cleveland Museum of Art, Indianapolis Museum, Grove City College, I mean, Brooklyn Museum, and, like, Art Gallery of Ontario, I mean, there's a whole list of these museums that are selling art. I mean, and, and they sell art very frequently. It's kind of a standard collection management process, but what's different is how they use the proceeds. And, um, you know, so Brooklyn Museum, one of the first things they sold was their only work by Cronach, this, this kind of old master jewel. They only have one. They don't have 12. You know, there were questions about it. Is that the right thing to sell? Everson Museum sold a Pollock, Springfield Museum sold Picasso, and it's all the same, like acquisition, care of collection. But, you know, Everson Museum, the Pollock was the only Pollock they have. And for many people, it was one of the reasons to come to that museum. So, you know, and, and, and it's, so it becomes like a very controversial issue. And then, of course, it all exploded when Baltimore Museum of Art consigned um, works to Sotheby's, non-competitively, somehow they just decided to choose Sotheby's. Um, they've had a good experience in the past in the museum, and they consigned uh, a, a major, major um, Warhol uh, Last Supper painting. They consigned uh, their only Clifford Still painting, and they consigned their only, well, only Clifford Still, period. They don't have any others that Clifford Still gave them um, as a gift, and uh, and their only Bryce Martin painting, 
and I consigned all of that to Sotheby's. And there was instant and absolutely massive outcry against the sale. You know, as a result, it was a battle, of course, as in this case it happens. And, uh, and literally within hours before the auction, the words were pulled. It's interesting you share all of that because I think generally people assume if museums are deaccessioning works, they're selling paintings that are in storage or they at the very least have multiple examples by that artist and they're choosing to sell the lesser one that rarely is on view or is deemed less important. But in this case, as you highlighted, there have been really, really major artworks from museums that are staples of their collections that have been sold. And I think one thing this really manifests is just how difficult the COVID shutdown was on a lot of museums to force them into this position where they have to sell such prominent artworks from their collections. And so I think to sum that up, it seems that deaccessioning played a uniquely large role this auction season. And if we take a step back and look at the auctions as a whole, there seems to be a consensus that the market's very robust, but I think it isn't always accurate to make an assessment about the entire art market. Were there some noticeable weaker spots in the market that you detected that you saw from the auctions? Um, you know, it's always it's interesting, right? Like the, 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 the third-party guarantees continue to be very important for, for the auction houses, but you see that in, in many cases it uh, kind of deters the, the bidding and a lot of works are bought on, 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 on a single bid. Um, so it's risk management, right? Like we've discussed this over the years. Uh, for the auction houses, it's a very smart kind of play f- by them, but it, um, it it doesn't always create fireworks, right, for bidding. Like I was surprised yesterday, just um, it was um, Saturday's sale, and they had a Mark Bradford painting, which uh, which sold within the estimate, but I noticed that it sold for like $3 million, and I noticed that it had been at auction last time um, in 2017, and that price then was like $2.96 million. So that was clearly not a good return, right? It just made basically what it sold for before. So I was surprised by that because I um, I guess it's something to look into. I don't know what the – just need to, haven't looked sort of so closely into Mark Bradford's market, but – you know, whether it's um, indicative of a certain slowdown there or it's just that the market has become so selective, you know, and they really notice like nobody wants to overpay for anything or, or there is no kind of maybe the upside has diminished somewhat. And I guess that happens, right? Like we, we were just like, like the idea that you can buy a, a Soutine or a Chagall or, I don't know, even like a, a de Kooning perhaps or a small Picasso drawing or a Matisse, I don't know, for for the same price that some of the younger artists go to for, right? And so that's when, in my experience, those spikes begin to, to slow down, right, and to even out when, right, the upside kind of goes away and also when you realize wait a second, <laughs> you know, here's a historic material that, you know, here works by people who are in art history already, and they go for the same prices as these very exciting but untested artists, and then it, it, it becomes a different kind of a calculation. 
yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people make those kind of comparisons as well, whether it's people doing polls on Instagram or just speaking to one another anecdotally about that. Right, because the prices get like heady. We're talking about millions of dollars at this point. But, you know, but again, an argument against, look, I can talk myself in and out of any argument. <laughs> but, but, you know, this another theme, right? And, and, and that, of course, that this year, as crazy as it's been, like people are stuck at home, right? And, and people are bored and people are online. And we've seen in the financial markets the great success of all these trading platforms like, let's say, Robinhood. And people who are on those platforms, they look at the art market and they participate in the art market. Some of them participate in, um, you know, things that are very um, heady and very investment, you know, really driven, like fractional ownerships of art. And But, but one uh, company that offers that in the art world, um, Masterworks, has been incredibly busy this year. I've written about them, and I was surprised by how many, uh, what a big buyer they've become. So they buy art at auction, they guarantee works at auction, and then they sell them to their members, um, fractional, um, fractional ownership in, to those works. And they've been very, very busy. And I know that the auction houses are aware of that and they you know I, I, I don't know if they're going to start selling fractional I'm not, I don't want to suggest that they're going to start doing that tomorrow but that's a line of business you know these this is real business and this is real money and also it draws and it has drawn a whole new generation of people into the art market um, and I think that a lot of the speculative trading that we've discussed comes from these new buyers who are not traditional collectors and who have come into the art market through online um, sort of trading. Yeah, and I think another factor that's driving all of this is the fact that the wealthy are seem to be incredibly wealthy at the moment. You've seen that not just in prices in the art market, but also high-end real estate. And then also, just the weakening dollar is a factor, and I think that was evidenced this week for the auctions that were in New York City. So any of these auctions that are occurring in U.S. dollars, foreign bidders, people who are holding other currencies, they're going to take advantage of that weaker dollar, and you're going to see higher prices when prices are being reported in dollars. Totally. And you've seen this, right? Like this week, uh, how, and, and last week at Christie's, I heard that about 70% of the younger art went to Asia or was underbid or bought by Asian collectors, new Asian collectors. And um, actually, after Philip's sale at uh, Dolman, the CEO, he also pointed out that there was extraordinary bidding from Asia in that sale. Um, and uh, they, of course, had uh, just recently partnered with Polly Auction House uh, for their auctions in Hong Kong. And um, he said that that really boosted the Asian interest as well. And, of course, and, 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 they, and, and these collectors are interested especially in, in some of the younger um, artists, some fresher names, 
to the to the art market and of course you know your point about the currency is is also important uh, factor in that and so as the year is winding down and we look ahead to 2021 do you have a sense of what people's expectations for the art market are moving forward I think everyone, art market and beyond, everyone is looking forward to the vaccines, right? And uh, just some kind of a hope to return to just normal life, right? What that normal would look like is anyone's guess at this point. But um, I think what's interesting is that the lessons that the market learned by pivoting online and the te- I mean, technology really saved the art market. I mean, not just the art market, but the focus of our conversation. But imagine if that wasn't possible. You know, like if these live stream auctions that the galleries could also pivot online and do all this OVR. I mean, it it really saved the art market. It's extraordinary what happened this year. And I think that um, that will remain in whatever capacity and whatever form. Um, I think it would be a, going forward a really big part of, of the art trade. And I think that people are excited about it, right? Like it pushed us all into kind of a new age, right? Where people were just kind of tiptoeing around before and now like everyone is swimming. And, uh, you know, not really thinking yet, right? Like we haven't seen... So many, you know, initially everybody thought that galleries are going to be closing in droves and it's going to be a disaster, but that didn't happen. You know, the the galleries and the market proved incredibly resilient, although, of course, we have to acknowledge that there have been furloughs and layoffs and and people lost jobs and and revenue, and and it's been a brutal, brutal year, But, 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 but it's standing, right? Absolutely. Those are all great points. Technology really saved the art world and the art market in so many ways and allowed so many people to continue to do business even during the pandemic. And even outside the auction houses, things like Instagram and other social media channels proved to be so invaluable to so many different parties. And moving forward, when there's a vaccine and there are in-person art fairs and auctions, I still expect these technologies to continue to progress and play a large role in the market. Yes, yes. But I do have to say, like, I really can't wait to go back to galleries and to see art in person. It's, I really miss it so much. I, I can't even tell you a few times that I had a, a chance to, to do it. It was just, um, like, you know, really revelation. And I realized how much, you know, I personally have taken that for granted, right? Like, just this intimate and constant connection with works of art that just was overnight gone, right? Right, right. I agree. I felt the same way. I think many people did. It was really a reset for a lot of people. And so maybe that's a small, very small bright spot out of all of this. I remember for me, finally, after months of not seeing art in person, I went to the Whitney when it was nearly empty. It had just reopened and it was just an incredible experience looking at the art and the permanent collection and taking it all in, spending a lot of time with it. It was really an unforgettable experience. Yeah, so here, here. Exactly. <laughs> Here's more of that. That's exactly. what I want. <laughs> well, Katya, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We always really enjoy having you on and really appreciate hearing your insights and perspective on the market. And our listeners, if they don't already, they should be 
following you and reading everything that you're writing about the markets. And uh, where can they find you on social media right now? Oh, um, the best place is Twitter, and I am Art Detective. And I, um, yeah, will be publishing my stories. I will be linking to my stories there. And in the meantime, my geekiness, you know, continues to post. And, you know, I just, uh, you can, you, you know, it's, uh, it, it, I love this stuff. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So find me there. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Katya. We appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Great talking to you. Thanks so much to Artbase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase lets you track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data just once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.